One day after the draft lottery, what is the latest in Pacerland ahead of the draft? We talked to a ton of prospects today at the draft. Combine, what did Kevin Pritchard and Tyrese Halliburton say? And the seventh pick, trade history. We'll get to it all today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Lockdown Pacers Podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, still in Chicago, where all the NBA draft scuttlebutt is happening. The center of the NBA universe here. In Chicago, Illinois right now, the draft lottery Tuesday night. Basically, everybody who's anybody uh, in the NBA in terms of execs, coaches, etc. was there. The draft combine on Wednesday featuring a lot of the prospects and those same executives. It was crazy to see all the people involved at the draft combine. This is my first time attending. Uh, I'm obviously not one of those somebody who's anybody's. But seeing everybody who is important and a decision maker in the league all in the same place is absolutely Fascinating to see. Talk about a little bit about what I saw today, how it relates to the Pacers, some prospects I talked to who had Pacers-centric things to say. I want to talk about what Kevin Pritchard and Tyrese Halburn said yesterday about this draft and the prospects in it and the history of trades involving the seventh pick going back about 15 years. Not as traded as often as I thought digging into this process. But really, the, the headliner is the draft combine is going on right now. And the Pacers who have the seventh pick are, of course, dialed into this, right? Two scrimmages today, five on five amongst groups that aren't really lotto guys. In fact, most of the guys who played, I think, Cravion Smith, probably the best prospect who scrimmaged, not a lot of first round level guys actually go through the five on five process. But in, again, the center of the NBA world, everything is a show, right? All these prospects are trying to make teams, trying to impress people. All the execs are in the same place. They can talk. They can share details with each other. But here's the thing. It's kind of like it's not too early for Scuttlebutt. Like various things have been said about what teams could be interested in trading or how the lottery impacts certain things. Sure, but it's one day after the lottery, right? It's not like it's possible already for all this stuff to be flying around and all these details to be going crazy. Like I've talked to people. I'm getting a sense of what's going on out here. But it's almost too early for any serious sort of intel sharing. There is some going on, of course. But like the, the two GMs I heard most close to me having a conversation, I won't say who they were, but they were just talking about charge rules and how you know it, it's it's impossible to play uh, defense if they ban the charge completely, but the, all sorts of funky things about defensive rules, like less so, so about draft kind of stuff. And I think they were also talking about that, but that's what I was around them for their conversation. For Like that's what's kind of going on around here. But in the morning and even early in the afternoon, a lot of the top prospects who did speak to media were available, which was really awesome. Um, First and foremost, we got to talk to a lot of the local guys uh, for Pacers fans specifically. It was a good day for your coverage because Jalen hood Chafino and Trace Jackson Davis, if you're an IU fan, both spoke to the media. I'm sure you'll get a lot of stories about them their journey, how their process is going, where they feel like they could end up or what's important to them. And if you're a Purdue fan, Zach Eady also spoke to the media. It was really cool uh, to see him. And Brandon Miller came over from Alabama and kind of messed with him 
uh, during his interview process. So expect some cool stories on those guys. I was involved in the Huchifino and Edie conversations, at least for part of it. The way this is all set up is you can kind of talk to any prospect at any time. And they're all going on at the exact same time. So it's not like, you know, if you want to talk to one guy, you might just miss somebody else who's important or in the Pacers range or something. So there's a lot of picking and choosing going on between these local guys and the top prospects. But it was cool to see all three of them actually do the media portion and talk. And Trace Jackson Davis was very popular. He had a lot of guys around him for conversations. Uh, I'll have stories about all the guys I talked to that had something either pacer centric to say or that I just think are good. And I talked to for a long time. There'll be kind of two of each in that category. Um, but one guy, I think the, the most interesting thing I got pacer centric that uh, I tweeted it and has gotten a lot of traction is Asar Thompson, the overtime elite guard slash wing combo twin brother, Eamon, uh, looks like he could be one of the top four picks. Asar Thompson said that he's a meeting coming up with the Pacers. Uh, he's in that exact kind of range, right? We talked about this yesterday when looking at who the seventh pick could be with the mock drafts are saying. You hop over to Tankathon, whose mock draft is supposedly an aggregate. Asar Thompson is six. He's six foot seven from the overtime elite, kind of a scoring guard wing type. But the fact that he's a meeting scheduled with the Pacers is, of course, noteworthy. Both the twin brothers are special players that could be good in this draft. And uh, a lot of questions to them about the overtime elite program, what that path could mean, if they have any regrets about that, anything like that. And of course the quality of competition in overtime elite, I think it's going to be a big story. Any team, I think Pacers, maybe eight, nine, you'll hear about those kind of teams talking about these two Thompson twins. And the thing about overtime elite is yes, it is of course unique and questionable competition, but those guys were really good in high school too, right? It's not like they just were sprung into this, league that no one knows anything about they also were talented high school players and if they're good in the nba it will give more you know belief in the program but either way it was cool to hear from asar thompson and hear that he does have something scheduled with the pacers and some other teams i want to say orlando uh washington are the two i remember but i think there were a few more he was discussing with his brother hanging uh, right around him uh, another guy who lottery projected many places who said he's got a meeting with the pacers scheduled anthony black from arkansas uh Got really heavy handles kind of guard has the ball a lot, but I would consider him wing size, certainly like a wing sized creator. He's not six, seven. Like <laughs> I see a lot of places that list him as six, seven. I stood right next to him today. He's not six, seven, um, but he is taller. He's a good creator. He's a good defender. I really like his tape out of Arkansas. And I think he should go in the top 10 just based on that. Like if you can be a wing, who can kind of dribble a little bit and create a little bit. You're going to be valuable in the modern NBA. My favorite draft crush can do both of those things as well. So, uh, he looks like a good player. I don't know if he's the perfect fit for the Pacers, but he did say he uh, he nailed it for me, a media person. He pulled out his phone to look at his schedule for the rest of the week to confirm what teams he was meeting with. And in doing that, described the or and mentioned the Pacers as one of the teams he will be meeting with. Those are the only two guys uh, in, the, in the top 10 who both met with media and said they for sure have something with the Pacers going up. I talked to Jarris Walker from Houston who thought maybe he did. He wasn't quite sure. He is like a bunch, and that makes sense when you're projected to potentially go in the top five. Um, I'll have a story about that conversation because I went back and forth with him for almost five minutes. It was really fun uh, to get to know him. We didn't get Taylor Hendricks. I missed Grady Dick's portion. I was talking to Hood Shafino for most of that, uh, and I didn't bother with Brandon Miller because it seems like 
he will go above the Pacers range. But uh, all the, uh, and Cam Whitmore, I got as well. Uh, but he did not mention anything about a specific meeting with the Pacers just yet. That doesn't mean one isn't coming. That doesn't mean he didn't even remember. There's so many teams that could mean there's one coming later this week. That could mean there's one coming next week. Who knows? But of the guys who could remember or at least had their schedule in front of them that are commonly mocked in that top 10, Anthony Black and Asar Thompson were the two I remember, Jarris Walker. Uh, I think alluded to it, but wasn't quite sure. And I didn't get to talk to two of the other commonly um, mocked top 10 guys who could be in the mix for the Pacers. I had a really long chat with uh, uh, Chris Murray as well, Keegan Murray's younger brother, which was really interesting. I'll probably write a story on that. I don't think he's even close to a top 10 level guy, but for what the Pacers need, I mean, not a terrible fit late in the first round. If he's still available, I'd imagine he'll go higher. If you're a 21 points per game score, decent rebounder at 6'8", you have an NBA future. I'll whip up that story about that conversation. I think he's good. I don't think he's top 10 good. Uh, And what he had to say, I thought that was a really noteworthy conversation as well. And at the end, my last guy, you know, I talked about Brandon Miller. I missed that. He had a big group. The other guy I wanted to hear from was Scoot Henderson, obviously going to be off the board before the Pacers. But he, too, had a big media contingent around him. A lot of people wondering if he thinks he could be the best player, how he fits with these top teams. Because at two, he could go to LaMelo Ball's team. At three, he could go... To Damian Lillard's team, like some clunky er fits in theory, if he's going to be this massive jumbo on-ball creator, could there be trades? How does he see himself fitting on and off the ball? A lot of people had all the same questions and storylines that a lot of Pacers people have commented to me about or have tweeted at me. You know, how does Scoot Henderson fit with the Pacers? That question exists for a lot of these non-Spurs teams, and the Spurs landed one, right? The Rockets have young guards. The Pistons have young guards. So, you know, it's going to be really fascinating to see what happens with Scoot Henderson. And he had a huge media contingent that I was really interested in for that exact reason. So that's the the latest for me from uh, Chicago, from draft land. But I want to dive into more Pacers-specific stuff about the seventh pick, specifically diving into some of the history of the trades involving that pick, since people are already talking a lot about trades moving up and down. Listen, I don't know what the right scenario for them is yet, but thinking about the history of it, can kind of show you what the value of it is or what it has been in the past. So we will get right to that in the next segment. Before we do so, let me talk to you guys about eBay Motors for a championship team. It's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day, continuing on with draft coverage. If you have any draft topics you would like to hear from me for Friday's show, comment on YouTube if you're watching there, or tweet at me at Tony R. East. If not, I might pivot back to some free agency stuff I want to get done before June. We talked about O'Shea Brissett's already. I also want to talk about all the rest of the Pacers free agency previews before June. So in June, we can do the position previews and continue on with draft stuff, with prospect breakdowns, with Pacers directional stuff. This is all stuff that kind of ties together to me. For your second listen, Locked On Warriors, their they're, they're mastermind, Bob Myers. Will he even be back? It's a, Chomps Tranier was reporting on it earlier. Kylan Mills and the man Cyrus Atta's 
at Locked On Warriors. We'll break down the latest from Golden State on what could be happening with their head of basketball operations. As that team continues into their next era, let's go back to the Pacers, though, who have the seventh pick confirmed from the lotter. If you haven't listened to the breakdown of the lotto, what it means for the Pacers to be picking seven, yesterday's show is for you. Uh, seven, they didn't move up, they didn't move down. There's not a lot of storylines to that, but they have seven now. What does that mean? Well, you can look at the prospects and say who could or couldn't be available. The Thompson Twins, Jarris, Cam Whitmore, Anthony Black, Taylor Hendricks. There's going to be someone at least interesting or useful for the Pacers at that spot. I kind of think I've just named everybody in what I would consider Tier 3, but there's other guys I could move up, and there's one guy in particular I'm very intrigued. And that said, the Pacers are in a unique spot. They've talked about wanting to improve their defense significantly, both organically and potentially via additions this offseason. They want to make the playoffs next year. Rookies typically not the most conducive to success and winning right away. Maybe they could trade it. They have other first-round picks. They have other ways to add young talent. I don't know what they're going to do. It's way too early for me to say. Let me be very clear. I'm not reporting something one way or the other, but trades can't be off the table for any team that isn't picking Victor Wambanyama with the first overall pick. The Spurs are not trading. Uh, if any of you ask me something to the effect of, can the Pacers trade up to one with this or that? No, they can't. They cannot. Their whole franchise is not enough for the number one pick. Um, but any whoms, looking at seven and the history of the seventh pick, interesting trade history. Not a lot. I had to dig back really far, 2006, to get back to the third most recent trade involving the seventh overall pick. It is not commonly flipped around. It is moved sometimes really early, like way before the draft, but actually on draft night or near draft night, way more rare. And it's like what I mean by before draft night is it's traded before it's known to be the seventh pick, which is, of course, a big differentiator in value from knowing you're getting the seventh pick. So looking back, the first one is something I actually talked about on the trading a lotto pick episode last week. This is the Jimmy Butler trade, the first one of many, from the Bulls to the Timberwolves. The Bulls were trading away Jimmy Butler. They sent him to Minnesota. Minnesota had the seventh pick that year. The seventh pick went to the Bulls. Uh, Zach Levine went to the Bulls. And then the 16th pick went with Jimmy Butler to Minnesota. Minnesota also getting Justin Patton from that trade. They did not do well with that pick. Um, but the Bulls got uh, more than this. But Levine and the seventh pick, which was Larry Markkinen at the time, were the headliners of that trade, right? So a very recent lottery pick in Levine, who was talented, plus that seventh pick netted Minnesota a star player who didn't have a ton of years left on his deal but some. And they also got the 16th pick out of that. And, uh, and someone else or some other asset was in that trade, I guess. Uh, I don't know why I'm having – oh, Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn was the other piece of that deal, another recent lottery pick. He was actually top five, right? So um, three former lotto picks for Jimmy Butler with the seventh pick being involved, right? So very recent – not very recent, but fairly recent evidence of a team using the seventh pick and other quality assets to get – a star, right? Perhaps that's something the Pacers consider and maybe move back in the same way. I don't know, but that is the most recent example of the seventh pick being traded at or near the draft. It was Minnesota going and getting Jimmy Butler. The one before that was a long time ago. The Kings trading Bismack Biombo. <laughs> I mean, can you even believe that this is a thing I just said? I didn't even know Bismack Biombo was drafted by the Sacramento Kings. Uh, he was traded to the Charlotte Hornets that draft night. This was a three-team trade. The Bucks were also involved. Corey Maggette was in this deal. He was really good at the time. He was a 19 points per game scorer the season before this trade. Um, this one was fascinating to see, though. 
Bismack Biombo goes to the Hornets after being picked seventh by the Kings. And the Kings get the 10th pick and John Salmons, right? They move back three spots and they get a vet along the way. Now, this is so far away. If you've listened to the show, you know I like to kind of dig through history to look at what trades could be possible or what's, what history tells us about the value of something or signings or any sorts of things like that. And when you're getting back this far, the league has changed so much that sometimes these values don't make sense. John Salmons was good. He had a... a, a five, 10 year career beyond that. I could get the exact years up as I'm talking, but like he does not to me seem like enough of a talent jump to get from 10 to seven. Salmon at the time, this was 2007. Okay. So he played eight more years in the league and like John Salmon's was good. Like there was a stretch with the bucks when for 30 games, he was a 20 points per game score. Like, I don't think people remember how good John Salmon's was at his best, but I, I was surprised looking back on this because my history apparently wasn't the best that Salmon's plus seven or set plus 10, excuse me, was enough to get up to seven. There were other moving parts in this trade, like I said, with the Bucks being involved and Cormageddy and some other players. So perhaps there was some salary dumpage going on. That context can be lost to history. It's been 15 years since this trade took place. But I was surprised to see that. That said, you know, if you're the Pacers and you, you can get a quality vet and move back to 10 and still get somebody potentially in the same tier that you're already in, that might make sense to them, right? That, that style of trade big picture might make sense to them. Maybe they would want somebody who is perceived at present day to have a higher trade value than John Salmons. But in general, you get what I'm saying. That kind of structure does make a little bit of sense to me. The Jimmy Butler one also kind of does too. Any sort of star trade, given where the Pacers are, would at least make sense for the right value. Most trades would make sense for the right value. Uh, three trades ago involving the second pick. How about we go back to Kevin Pritchard time uh, with the uh, Portland Trailblazers. And this was a weird one because one team called another team's bluff and ended up picking Randy Foy, who was supposed to go eighth and ended up making a very complicated string of transactions <laughs> take place. Um, excuse me if you can hear that, that going on outside. But um, yeah, you know, Kevin Pritchard, 2006 back then with the Blazers uh, trading. Let me pull up the full thing. Sebastian Telfair. Two years into Sebastian Telfair's career, uh, Theo Ratliff and a second round pick for seven. seven. Oh, this was not the Kevin Pritchard involved part of the trade. Uh, that trade ended up getting Brandon Roy to the Blazers in another deal with Randy Foy getting moved as well. But that was the value for seven that Telfair Theo Ratliff and a second round pick. Very uh, confusing to look back on that trade and figure it out. But um you know, that is decent value, right? A good player uh, from the lottery a few years prior of that, another pick in there. But that one is also so long ago that it's really hard to say uh, exactly what the deal is uh, with that one. But again, interesting to look back on history and see what the trades are. Uh, I'll look back and pull it up fully. But that one was really interesting, right? The Timberwolves ended up taking Randy Foy a pick early just to kind of shake up some some trades there, but yes, the, the full trade was uh, in the end, Randy Foy got traded for Brandon Roy straight up between Minnesota and Portland, right? That's how Pritchard got Brandon Roy, but the, the pick they made before they got Sebastian Telfair, Theo Ratliff and, and a second rounder they sent out for Randy Foy, Rayful friends and Dan DeCow back in 2006, right? So that was the value of the seventh pick. Then, uh, a two years removed, a very hyped prospect in Telfair, Theo Ratliff, who was good, like a John Salmon's level player, right? And a second rounder. So 
the, the what, I, what you're gathering from this, I hope, is a decent asset and event is an option or trading for a star is an option. And there's many ways this could go. But the history says there are many ways the seventh pick could be traded. It's in a sweet little spot where, you know, you can move sort of anywhere, especially this year with the way the tiers kind of break out. It's close enough to that kind of top sniffing tier where some team could be enamored, but it's still firmly enough within it that you can move within a tier. Kevin Pritchard even talking about that flexibility, that volatility on Tuesday night. Speaking of Kevin Pritchard and talking, I threw in some of the best quotes to me uh, from Halliburton and Pritchard that you need to know about the draft, about the seventh pick, about what the Pacers could be thinking. And I'll recite them all to you in this final segment and explain why I think they're important or what they revealed that maybe was not previously known. Stick around. Thank you, as always, for making Locked on Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Locked on Heat has to be the way to go. Playoffs are still rolling on despite the lottery interrupting things and Pacer land and changing it up. And the Heat are up 1-0 on the road, an eight seed who could make the finals. And by the way, the eight seed could have home court advantage in the finals if they play the Lakers. Completely wild. Um Credit to the Heat. They are just on a shot making Vinanda Spree. That third quarter they just had was outstanding. Wes Goldberg, David Rimmel. We'll have more over at Locked On Heat if you want to know more about game one of the Eastern Conference Finals in the Pacerland, who were not in the Eastern Conference Finals. They had Kevin Pritchard and Tyrese Halberton speak to media earlier this week at the draft lottery. Halberton, of course, was the onstage rep by Wrote a Story, kind of detailing what. He felt up there. It was really interesting to see him just out of his element, right? He was really serious. His lip kind of trembled. He was stoic. He's never like that. He's always very bubbly in a good way and is a good kind of connector of people, you know, under the lights like that. It was really interesting to see him change. And, of course, talking to Pritchard after the lottery is a big part of it, seeing how the team thinks, what their plans are, all sorts of stuff. If you want more on what he said in his lottery night and you want to get the visual of him taking off his glasses as he determines the Pacers who are one ping-pong ball away from Victor Wembanyama did not actually get Wembanyama. Uh, that is also in a story on Pacers SI. Go check it out. So here are some of the Pritchard quotes that I think are important. Of course, he said, we think this is a good draft. We'll do our best to get another Matherin and Nembard. He actually said to get another Ben and Drew. Uh, and, of course, that's the goal of every draft, right? But how fitting they have uh, i don't i i, I never, didn't really realize this until today that they are one pick behind their two successful picks from last year right they got Matherin sixth in 2022 they have the seventh pick this year they got nembard at 31 and now they have pick 32 right almost a perfect kind of lineup and they have the option to once again pick in those slots and potentially get another draft where they get a first team all rookie level player and very close to a second team rookie level player in Nembard who got the 10th most votes but finished 11th because of how the voting point system works. Um, so they line up perfectly. That's the first thing Pritchard said that I typed down. Something else he said, we're in, we like the tier we're in, and there's some flexibility in that tier that we really like. And he kind of alluded to before this, something that's important, you know, the top tier, which is Wemby. Then he said there's kind of a second tier. He didn't say second or third tier, but he said then there's another tier with a couple guys Right, Miller, Henderson, maybe Eamon Thompson. They said, then there's this next tier. And then after that is where it opens up. So there's kind of this third tier before it gets kind of this big swath of similar level guys. Um, and the Pacers are in that third tier. They like that tier. They like the flexibility in that tier. And I think tiering is important for that exact reason, right? If you get to your pick and there's a lot of other guys kind of in your range that you value similarly and you can maybe pick up an asset and move up and down, do it, right? That is smart to do. And I think their tier 
does allow for some sort of flexibility just because there's other teams in this group, Dallas, Washington, maybe even the Detroit Pistons, who might want to be good like the Pacers next year and have similar goals. So moving around for other teams jumping up or something like that could be valuable. There could be a lot of potential movement if teams view guys a certain way in that group. But I also like the Pacers tier. This is a good draft, and so being in the top 10 is just valuable. In general, Pritchard saying, I like the seventh pick. We want to get someone that can build with our youth and that can grow over the next three or four years together. That's something interesting in this draft for the Pacers is if they want to be good, they could go for more vets, but adding one more young piece to their core that can grow with Halliburton, who's 23, that can grow with Nembard, who's 23, that can go with Matherin, who's 21, just seems so important to me. And adding one more young guy, exceedingly important to this team. And they want to do that. They want to get one more guy who can build with their youth, grow over the next couple of years together as they ascend, right? I think that is important for this team to find that balance of you know, finding the right rookies to fit your team and then using the rest of your draft assets productively. It's extremely hard, right? I think it's hard to have draft picks that have mismatched goals, but the Pacers are going to have to do that given what they would like to do next year. And having the seventh pick and being able to add a premier talent on your young timeline, I think is important for this Pacers team. Uh, Kevin Pritchard also said that there are guys that we're going to be looking at more on the defensive end. We're going to value that more. I think I talked about this a little bit yesterday, but that's, of course, significant and noteworthy, right? Traits that can be tiebreakers, right? Two prospects, significant, talented, equal in many ways. The better defensive prospects probably going to win out for the Pacers, just given what they need. They've talked about defense all offseason. The first story I wrote of the summer at their exit interviews was all the Pacers players saying something about They have to improve on defense, whether that's internally, externally, whatever that is. They have to do it. And if that means they draft somebody who can contribute on defense, Jairus Walker thinks he can right away. I asked him about it. You'll read that in the story pretty soon, right? That is significant. I'm not saying just him. Taylor Hendricks, known to be a good defender. I think Anthony Black's an okay defender, right? There's a lot of decent defenders in this top 10 range. Can the Pacers get one of them? Or... Are they excited about one of them? Can that be the tiebreaker that gets somebody onto the Pacers? I don't know necessarily without studying these guys a little more and talking to people around the league, but given the way KP is talking and the perception of some of these prospects, it seems like, yes, you know, that could be significant for them as this process progresses. And he also said, Kevin Pritchard, this is the last quote I want to highlight. He said, at seven, you really want to have a guy with a high ceiling. So perhaps that that does change things a little bit. If there's somebody with a lower ceiling who can maybe help them on defense right away, but there's someone who maybe can't help them on defense right away, but has a higher ceiling, perhaps they go with a higher ceiling, right? There's some interesting tiebreakers at play here. It's notable that everybody in the top 10, Brandon Miller is the oldest guy in most mocks. Like uh, until you get to like Jordan Hawkins range, basically the Connecticut guard uh, or Chris Murray, even most of the guys in this draft are younger in general. I think that's kind of a theme of this group. So some, if you conflate younger and high ceiling, which you can do, Perhaps there's some of them uh, in this draft, but the, there are quite a few decent high ceiling players in general if they hit their you know, their peak of every skill, which, of course, if every player hit their peak of every skill, the draft would be easy. But you know, if, if there's anyone they like who they think could do that and be the defensive player, I think that will be who the Pacers end up paying. And those are the questions worth asking and the guys worth observing along the way. Tyree Alberton asked about the draft. Uh, the first thing he said at the lottery, uh, Scott Agnes heard a good story about all this, right? Because... The 2020 draft was just bizarre. Tyrese Halbert didn't get a lottery. He didn't get all sorts of fanfare involved with his draft class. Um, the first thing he said that I think Pacers fans will love is Halbert at the lottery said, hopefully I don't have too many of these in my future, right? He doesn't want to be back. He doesn't want to be in the lottery. 
He wants all the conversations at the end of the regular season to not be, hey, we want to represent us on stage and instead, hey, how do we get ready for the postseason? He didn't say all that part at the end. I made that part up. His exact quote was, though, hopefully I don't have too many of these in my future. I think the Pacers think so, right? If you get another lottery pick this year, you'll have had three in the last three years. If you're the Pacers, you have your young core kind of established time to get running. You have the all-star on your team. Make it happen. Try to reach that postseason height again that they were reaching. The other thing Tyrese Halliburton said that was noteworthy. I asked him straight up uh, about the draft, right? How do you feel about the players in it? I also asked him straight up about Victor Wambanyama. And, um, uh, you know, he said Wambanyama is going to be special, right? He said, quote, he will be special. And then I said, hey, thankfully he's going west. And he said, thank God, right? So uh, good news for the Pacers that Wemby's going west. But I also asked Halliburton about this draft. He said, this draft class, he said, I'm excited. I'm excited. There's a lot of guys, lots of versatility, excited to see guys come in for workouts, excited to be a part of the process like I was last year. Of course, he likes the draft. He's the leader of the team. Um, a lot of versatility. I agree. Guys, you can play some multiple roles. But the big part is that ending part, right? Excited to see guys come in for workouts, excited to be a part of the process like I was last year. Pacers have made it very clear. Tyrese Halbert is the face of their franchise. They literally just had him represent them on stage, but in general, the partnership quotes, the amount that Kevin Pritchard said he'll lean on him for any sort of decisions. He said he'll make the final decision. Doesn't want to put that pressure on him, but we'll have him involved. There's the pictures and discussions from Halberton about being in Matherin's hotel room and liking him as the pick last year. I don't know how much he was necessarily involved in that, but you know, they, they got a good pick there. If Halberton's involved in the process, that's good. That's good synergy for the Pacers to have, to have him be a guy that they're committing to so much to say, you know, help us pick a guy that we you think can help this team. And I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to say, Halberton, who would you pick? But having him involved in the process is, of course, good. It seems like that's something Halberton is excited about, both to see them work out, to be involved, and to provide his opinions to the front office about who the Pacers should pick. That's the draft scuttle, but I got for you today. The final day of the combine is tomorrow. But uh, barring anything uh, significant from combine day three or a really riveting comment or tweet about more draft coverage people want i'll probably do a free agency preview for uh george hill and james johnson for friday's episode i want to get all the player free agency previews uh so the two ways i'll do next week done before the end of may so june can be about positional free agency previews and draft content as well as general news i got a general do a general news thing soon about the Fort Wayne Madden's move to Noblesville. So that's all coming on Lockdown Pacers, unless more draft content is necessary after the lottery. If not, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.